Welcome to Brand Story, Inc. I'm your host, Jay Sharman. Every week, we sit down with smart folks to talk about innovative ways they are creating content to connect with their audiences. I'd like to say every company can be a media company, and this conversation hopefully helps you understand why. On last week's episode of Brand Story, Inc., we took out the microscope and went super deep and tactical on the content marketing blueprint. Today, we're going to go to the other extreme as we welcome futurist David Houle to Brand Story, Inc. He's often called the CEO's futurist, having spoken to or advised more than 4,000 CEOs and business owners in the past 11 years. I think you'll see his big picture approach will help you lift your head up from your keyboard, look to the horizon, and really help you think about your business through the media and content lens in a way that you get paid the big bucks to do. Hull spent more than 20 years in media and entertainment. He's worked at NBC, CBS. He was part of the senior executive team that launched MTV, Nickelodeon, VH1, and CNN Headline News. He's won two Emmys as a co-executive producer for a nationally syndicated kids program, a Peabody Award for the film Hank Aaron, Chasing the Dream. So he knows media. He's also He also writes the highly regarded futurist blog, Evolution Shift, and was a past contributor to Oprah.com. So this one's a little bit personal for me. David was a mentor of mine and consultant for our company, Teamworks Media, back in the early to mid-2000s before embarking on his career as a futurist. Admittedly, I raised an eyebrow and thought, what the hell's that when he told me what he was going to go do? Well, nearly 10 published books later and thousands of speeches to every conceivable market type on where things are going, David recently penned a new book. It's called The 2020s, The Most Disruptive Decade in History, and it's, a, it's kind of a master book with annual sub-series supporting this thesis coming out on an annual basis. And today we're going to dive into that first of the sub-series, a recently new book, a mini book, 2021, A Look Ahead Today, which you can get at Amazon.com. I think you'll find this episode thought-provoking, so find some time to clear your mental headspace and join us. And if you like what you hear, and I think you will, you can find David at davidhool.com. That's H-O-U-L-E, davidhool.com, and on Twitter, at Evolution Shift. Here's my conversation in mid-February 2021 with David Hool. Well, David Hool, after that introduction, welcome to the show. Oh, it's my pleasure, Jay, as always, anytime I get to talk to you. Well, I'm I'm fired up here. We're going to go in the the time machine a couple different ways. I think a little bit backwards, but mostly forwards. And before we dive in, I have to say, all kidding aside, uh, I remember you telling me when you were working with us at Teamworks, like some 15 plus years ago, when you said you, when you created this vision for yourself as a futurist. Before I'd heard the term, uh, it was you know it's kind of an eyebrow raise, and then now here you are. <laughs> You, an entire category that's been established that you were at the forefront of. And uh, so I think it's important to set that stage. And, you know, we used to have these rich conversations about what it was like, um, like I mentioned in your bio, being on the executive team at MTV and CNN Headline News when it's hard for people today to remember the concept of, of the construct of, wait, what? 24 hours of music, right? It, it seems so normal now. So, uh, you know, anyways, I think here you are, and uh, we've both had this bond of kind of trying to project where things are going to go uh, and where the puck is going. And so let's dive in there because I think in your most recent book, you talk about two most critical qualities to understand this decade that we're going into are resilience and adaptability. So frame that for this audience of content marketers. 
Yeah. So what I what I mean is is that is that the uh, the single the two singular greatest qualities needed to lead any kind of an organization today are adaptability and resilience. And you know because my focus Jay is largely with CEOs or C level or advising companies relative to change. That so that's my emphasis. I mean if you take it on a personal level. Everybody has to be adaptive. I mean, that's what COVID has showed us. And resilience, you know, is, you know, my example was that um, last March when the lockdown started, 90% of my revenue went away. My business model went away, right? Mm -hmm. David goes to an airport, gets, mm -hmm. goes through an airplane, airport, gets on a plane, gets on another plane, is greeted at the airport, shakes <laughs> hands at a reception, gives a speech to a boardroom or few thousand people shakes hands that went away so i had to reinvent myself so i always recently with ceos i start with that because i had to have a total amount of resiliency and i had to be adaptive so what that means is you know about three years ago i went back and speed read darwin um again and darwin did say it was the the species that evolve are those that adapt not fittest or strongest and that's where the kind of macho Mm -hmm. um, corporate thing. It's, oh, we're going to be the fittest or we're going to be the strongest. It's, it's the most, re the most resilient, mm -hmm. the most adaptive. And I would quickly say, just to give you an example, relative to COVID and company or corporate reactions to COVID, there's three loose categories. One is the, oh God, I can hardly wait till this is over and get back to doing what I like to do in the way we used to have it. Mm -hmm. And of course, they're going to fail. Mm -hmm. The medium one, which is the largest group, of, usually is, is well you know i've adapted i'm working from home i have to homeschool my kids i have this i've learned how to use zoom i didn't really know how to use it or what it was mm -hmm. and so i've kind of made my personal adaptions but i'm ready to let this go and kind of go back to something quote more normal mm -hmm. and they're going to struggle the companies that i'm really in admiration of are the ones that took COVID as a chance to completely reinvent themselves in other words huge amounts of change means huge opportunity mm -hmm. and that's adaptiveness right most humans are and companies are resistant to change and of course as a futurist i always have to say to them the only constant in the universe <laughs> is change mm -hmm. right so if it you know if there wasn't change there wouldn't be time so if you believe in time you have to accept change and if you're resistant to change your life is going to be you know paddling upstream all the time so get with it go with the flow adapt and be resilient emotionally, psychologically, and in your business model. Well, I, th I thought it's interesting, right? You, you, your most recent book, and I, I tried to describe it as a master book, right? The 2020s, the most disruptive decade in history. And then you're publishing, as I understand it, kind of mini books, right? Including one I just read, 2021, A Look Ahead, Acceleration, Collapse, and Rebound is kind of the first of what I assume is going to be an annual sub-series, if you will. Can you right. can you let let's go to 2021 and break down the acceleration collapse rebound construct for this audience and maybe even help us apply it for the content marketers listening. Yeah, so um, I started saying this back in April, so it doesn't sound original now. Mm -hmm. But I was saying uh, what COVID is going to do is it's going to accelerate change a number of years into a number of months. Mm -hmm. Number one. Number two, as you know, I've coined the phrase the shift age. And the one of the key things of the shift age is the creation of the two realities, the physical reality based on atoms 
and the screen reality based on digits. And the screen reality is where the future shows up. Um, in 2010, I said there'd be a huge collapse from 2010 to 2020 in physical retail in the United States, and there was. Why? Because I saw Amazon.com as the reality on the screen mm-hmm. reality, and you know the Macy's and the and the uh, big box stores were competing with each other in the physical space. They didn't see it, right? So if you have the physical reality and the screen reality, what COVID did was accelerate probably by five years in the period of a year, the move to the screen reality. Mm-hmm. So that's, that is the acceleration. The yeah. collapse are all, or or most physical based businesses or physical sales distribution or supply chain models and the rebound is the uh the adaptive resilient companies and individuals that accept this acceleration of the future and have redone their business model or their supply chains or whatever it is to rebound and the key thing about the rebound that that um people need to understand is that we're all so desperate to get into a post-COVID world that we're going to see the uptick this year and say, wow, we're up from last year. Well, that's bogus. So so the point is the rebound is going to economically, culturally, socially, it's going to happen the last third of this year. But the economic part has to be measured against 2019. Right. 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 So 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 the 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 collapse is those that are holding on to always a business. And the, and the rebound is going to be an explosive rebound for those that have adapted, those that are new, and, and of course, fueled by this huge savings that has happened uh, globally in developed countries of the world. So there's a, a huge backlog of, of pent-up demand. It's interesting. and I'm, I'm intentionally teeing you up here, um, and you'll probably see where I'm going, but I'm going to take – uh, one category. I'll take sports, right? I, I you, you talked okay. you talked in there about kind of the collapse and rebound, and you know, right. uh, so you look at next college football or pro football season. You know, it's it's pretty logical to assume that it's not going to be a new normal, right? Like you posit that uh, attendance will likely be down, right? Not everyone's going to want to go be crammed in next to fifty, you know, or hundred thousand people in a in a football stadium. Or, but talk talk to me about we'll take the sports category. What, what do you see in terms of kind of that acceleration collapse rebound? Cause then I want to go into the, um, something that I thought was one of your most prescient parts. And that's the, the home as the, as the cockpit of the, of the starship, which we'll talk about. Yeah, But I, I do, I do want to come. Okay, great. Then I want to make sure that we come back because the sports is a good analogy on where media and advertising is going. Okay. Mm -hmm. So sports post COVID, is that what you want me to be particular on? Yep. Okay. So, so the first concept is as P and G showed through research for, you know, product goods research back in the seventies, it takes 21 days to build a new habit. In other words, that's why they gave away free samples. Hey, try Crest toothpaste and you try it. Oh, I'll like it. So, then you use it, right? But it takes 21 days. So we've had nine months of streaming. We've had nine months of virtual this, virtual that. Virtual conventions, hey, they're better than the live ones are. The virtual uh, inauguration, hey, this is more digestible than the regular one. 
and you know the bubble for the NBA. Oh, this is special. So so we've developed new ways of accepting something that is virtual that we didn't before because it was fed to us physically, a physical collaborative in-person event. So even though we may feel that now that we've been vaccinated, we're safe, those new habit patterns, okay, let's see. Um, I get all the movies I want. In fact, I get more content than I possibly can consume with $50 worth of streaming a month for all the major platforms. And that's the equivalent of taking a family for to a movie theater once. Mm -hmm. Doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. This is easy. We've already got a 70 inch flat screen TV. What do we need? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so it, it is the, it is the, what has been laid new foundation over the last year of being stuck in the home. And so we're the, to the sports I'll give you an example because this also reflects back on media, but I'm a Lakers fan, been a Lakers fan <laughs> most of my life. I went, you know, when I was out in L.A. in the late 90s because of Phil Jackson, I had seasons tickets. It was the Kobe Shaq years and now it's LeBron, Anthony Davis years. And, you know, I just like watching if I'm a fan, I'm a Lakers fan. Mm -hmm. So I record um, all Lakers games. They come in, you know, Comcast mm -hmm. picks it up in the DVR. Oh, I have another Lakers game. Nine out of ten times I don't watch the game. I will watch the nine-minute summary on ESPN the next day mm -hmm. because you know you don't need to watch sports to find out the outcome. Mm -hmm. That used to be what you had to do because it happened first on TV. Well, why spend two and a half hours watching NBA game to find who wins, right? So I'll go and I'll look at the I'll look at the nine-minute um, summary and if and if I, and if I if I realize that that. Or I see, you know, I read that LeBron scores 20 points in the fourth quarter. Well, I might fast forward and watch the fourth quarter, right? Mm -hmm. So my consumption has become com particularly completely based on how much time I want to allocate and when I want to watch it and where I want to watch it. I believe, and I don't know anybody except young people or people who have too much time on their hands who actually watch sports live. I mean, I don't. I've. Ne I have. Super Bowl is the only one I watch live because of the commercials, right? And I didn't have to watch that live because I could see all the commercials the next day on YouTube. So, you know, a few years ago, I realized I, I know that I, I know a fair amount, right? Like, but it's usually particular if you're a diehard and you're just like, it's too much pain in the ass to shut off your phone and hide it because people are texting you. Which gets to my next point about, a, you know, this communal watching experience and the in the which I talked about like that cockpit of the starship um which yeah. is really fascinating because i think that's we're already starting to see some of that stuff but i'm i'm, I'm getting ahead of ourselves I'll let you finish before yeah so 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 one of the things you have to realize is that is that so relative to the last thing to say on sports is that um people get to choose how they get to consume sports okay and the most the highest level of of human experience is hey jay dave david comes to chicago and david and jay go to wrigley field mm -hmm. we're not going to wrigley field to see who wins we're mm -hmm. going to wrigley field because hey we're at wrigley field together let's take some pictures this right. is great or fenway right. or right. whatever right 
the next one down from that is TV. But why do I want to watch a slow game that's two hours and 45 minutes when there's 15 seconds of action every hour, right? So I'm going to record it. And whenever there's a re- instant replay, I'll watch it. Mm-hmm. So I can watch a baseball game in 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'm not missing anything, right? Mm-hmm. And then it goes down to more and more and more, right? So it is technology that has changed it. The fact of being the, you know, the, on the uh, bridge of home, you know, whatever. What was the phrase you used just then? Yours was, uh, I think, the direct quote from your book was, "Home is increasingly the cockpit of the starship and will accelerate right. in 2021." Exactly. Which exactly. is kind of like where I go with that, right? So, keeping on the sports theme is, um, it, it's amazing to me. You go to stadiums and trying to get cell reception and text and even update. Like the experience from home is was better than going right if you're someone who wants to be multitasking and kind of communicating with like sports has become like many things um content's become a shared experience right even though you may watch your own netflix series on your own time like you just this this communal element and I, i like using sports because there is a live component to it but like it just painted a picture this increasingly the cockpit of the starship and right if you can't get cell reception at stadiums or it's difficult, which it still is surprisingly, right? Like, or, right. or, you know, the, the hassle of the parking, all that other stuff being at home, like this, look at esports, right? Esports has exploded during the pandemic. And it's in, and the myth on esports is that it's somebody by themselves in the basement when in reality they're on headsets communicating with probably oh, way yeah. too many people. Right. And so like, talk me through, I thought that notion of which was which is quite literally and figuratively futurist, right? In terms of its imagery around this right, cockpit right. of the starship. Tell me more about that because my mind started racing and I'm just spewing at you what what I well, interpret. Well, there's so many, there's so many things you just put on uh, on the table to discuss. One of them is that for content marketing, what you just said is very important. How do I bring a sense of collective sharing into an event where people are all separate? Mm-hmm. That's that's the key, right? If you can make people feel part of something and they're isolated, that offsets the sense of isolation. So it's to be embraced. How whatever content marketers do, you know, they're saying, look, we're going to do this, and every five minutes we're going to share this up. And you know, I think with Twitch, and you have a quarter million people watching a particular gamer, you know, it's like. I'm part of that, even though I'll never be as good as that person. And I got 249,000 other people who are watching with me. So that's a shared experience. I think Mm -hmm. part of the esports thing is the sharing of the experience. In other words, you can share the experience of somebody who's doing what you do better. And there has to be, and that's much more integrative than, gee, I used to play, I used to play, you know, or our Mm -hmm. mutual friend, Kevin, I was a star quarterback in high school. Mm -hmm. And I played a little bit in college, but I never went on to the pros. So when I watch the pros, it's what I wasn't good enough to be, but they're not sharing it with me. They're performing for me. Mm-hmm. So esports is much more of an integrative, psychologically integrative viewing experience. Yeah, and I, and think- I can, you know, and, and I can be a gamer in my dark basement at mom's house and be connected to hundreds of thousands of people around the world who are just like me. Right, right. And I think the other thing with that, with that, visual of the cockpit of the starship right is is yes. gambling right like super bowl just happened we're, we're, we are recording this in in mid-february 2021 and like super bowl was just this past weekend and the sports books crashed right due to demand and it's just like that 
and if there is a theme that's there's two themes in the sports media space that have already emerged early in 2021. Number one is sports gambling and the integration of the content experience. And number two is um, SPACs, right? It's a whole separate topic. But the, the sports gambling piece and the communal nature and the the engagement, and it, you're already seeing that experiment happening on second and third screens. And so um, there's just a lot of dynamics at play. And I, I, I thought it was worth pausing and kind of digging in here on this because as marketers to your point right like how can you play at that nexus what are you doing to add value to be that convener and be part of the community in a non-obtrusive way is i think not just a 2021 theme it's a theme i I think that you're saying it's only gonna it's only gonna accelerate you know as you know i've i've written two books on climate change i'm the future's most known uh, for speaking on climate change i've spoken at nasa i've spoken at the epa and you know so i've already had two symposiums in my 21st century think tank about climate change because of covid right and the thing that is most important and i am approaching this from climate change but it's relative to media and this you know Starship is is for the first time in the history of humanity last March and April billions of people somewhere between two and five billion people did the same thing at the same time which is to self quarantine mm-hmm. that has never happened there's never been multiple billions of people to do one thing at one time and what happened what happened was the air became clear you could see for miles in L.A. You could see Mount Everest for the first time in 50 years from New Delhi. The the the, the canals of, of Venice became clear. Mm-hmm. The animals came out and retook what humanity had temporarily taken away from them. The plants and trees grew faster, and it was documented because there was less pollution. So what does that tell us? It tells us to face the next huge issue facing us in, in, in the 2020s climate change is we're going to have to self uh, we're going to have to self quarantine. So and 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 also, uh, you know, fossil fuels, everything it, it, it I, I can go on for that, but you don't want me to. But the point is, is that what that is going to. So so what COVID is. And this is the metaphor. I gave an interview on PBS and he picked up this phrase and now I'm using it. COVID is the metaphor for the 2020s. COVID is the bike with training wheels for the decade of the 2020s. Whether as a parent or as a kid, when I say bike with training wheels, Mm -hmm. you have an experience. The experience is to teach the child what a bike is, how to pedal, how to brake, how to ring a bell, Mm -hmm. how to do hand signals, how to understand stop signs, traffic flow. And then the next thing is to learn without. And what happens? You learn balance. Then, you know, say you haven't skied in 10 years and you say, oh, God, I haven't skied in 10 years. What does somebody say to you? Oh, it's just like riding a bike. Mm-hmm. You won't forget it. So what COVID has trained us is it's taught those of us that are adaptive how to balance in a self-isolated world because it's only going to happen more. There's going to be other viruses. There's going to be climate change catastrophes. There's going to be lots of things and the financing and everything's going to change. And I can get how much does it cost to park at at uh, Sox Stadium, say, mm-hmm. or Soldiers Field? Twenty five bucks at least. Uh, it's like fifty, right? Call it 50 to park. Bucks. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. right. So that means to go to a, a Bears game is a few hundred dollars yes. for two people. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's see. That buys me my next quarter's worth of streaming. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Now watch the game on TV. Mm-hmm. So economics, technology lowers costs mm-hmm. of, of so, experience. So I want to go there. Let, let's, let's keep going. In your 2021 book, um, you had some predictions specifically on a media section, which I thought were yeah. great fodder here. So uh, right. some I agree with, some I want to debate. So let's go a little deeper on this. Um, in advertising, you paint it in a somewhat black or white streaming TV and DVR and TV with advertising and TV without, right? And we should probably expand you know, TV in air quotes and say content consumption with and without advertising. And, and you make a strong statement that advertising is in crisis mode. So explain what you mean by that. Well, you know, it's legacy thinking. It's thought from the past. You know, it's Mad Men. I mean, mm-hmm. advertising was created in the late 1800s. It's basically a 20th century industry. And as the mindset and the technology of those that were, in, were over the age of 40 at this point, um, they go back to where they were successful. And that is, it's not valid anywhere else, so why should it be valid in advertising? In other words, um, when I said there's two categories, when I say TV, I want it to be distinct from video. TV is what you more than often than not watch on a television set if you can, mm-hmm. right? I mean, mm-hmm. if you're traveling, you'll watch Netflix mm-hmm. on your phone or right, right. your tablet, right? So in that category, what you would watch on your flat screen TV, it's streaming, and advertising. And if it's advertising, you don't need to watch any advertising. So you put it on DVR. And all the BS about, well, you know, delayed viewing. I don't delayed view and watch a commercial. <laughs> you know, I don't I you know, I won't. I, I, I never I don't want I don't watch anything live unless it happens to be breaking right. news. Right? Even the news channel even the news shows I like on CNN and MSNBC, I tape because what do you know about cable TV? Right. It's 15 minutes of commercial and they front and they don't have any commercials for the first 20 minutes. Don't even watch a cable TV news show after the bottom of the hour because it's half commercials. I mean, they've trained us to that. So why watch? And then you go to the advertising and COVID has really shown the imbecility and tone deafness of advertising. (laughs) Right. I mean, for everyone that all of a sudden shows lots of, you know, look at look at the. the way Biden did his convention and his inauguration, he had a whole screen of of, of Zoom-like figures mm-hmm. applauding, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Or there's advertisers that show that. So what are the advertisers doing? They're saying, you're stuck at home. We get it. We're going to market to you in your mindset. And then you have these, you know, fly down to Sandals or take a Royal Caribbean <laughs> secret. I say, you know, what the, are you, t- well, you know, what are you, dumb, right? Or come on out to, to you know, a restaurant and I'm sitting in dumb bar, right. Florida with people who refuse to wear masks. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so the point is what, yeah. you know, so the creative is just totally lacking. Well, um, I, well I think and, I can I jump in here. Cause this is a conversation you, this goes back. I think it's, it's being in a futurist mindset can sometimes get you. There's a lag. I call it the trade, exactly. the trade magazine lag, lag right? And it killed right. it's 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 nearly my, my, killed my business in the past because I'll give you a perfect example. It's 2021, and and you and I talk about this. It's like 
the formation of our business was predicated on, you know, media convergence, right? And then, but, but, you read the trades and you think digital media, digital media, right? It's targeted. It's better. It's more efficient. There's still such a premium on television and like these large bureaucratic companies where you have a TV, people selling TV advertising on one floor and digital on a separate, like it's a completely different value proposition where, and, and, and you command more for TV. The whole system just is so... I it's think it's legacy 20 years behind. Thinking. Yeah, it's legacy it's, thinking. You know, in other words, I, I coined that phrase legacy thinking in my 2012 book, and I thought it was kind of clever, but I didn't think it was my big topic. And yet the corporations I've advised or a lot of people, deeper thinkers, said that's such a brilliant concept. In fact, I, I taught a class here in Ringling College on it because it, it, it's kind of thought – Legacy thinking is thought from the past. Thought from the past creates the reality of today. So, you know, the, the metaphor is a rower. A rower can tell you where they've been. They can tell you their life story. They can tell you what's worked, but they have to turn over their shoulder to see where they're going. Mm-hmm. Right. And so as a futurist, I am standing facing it saying, here's where you're going, folks. Mm-hmm. You can't see it. So I'm always in that lag. So anybody who's listening to this podcast has to understand what I'm speaking about is the inevitable. I am speaking to where the puck's going to be. Mm-hmm. Well, to that point, let's uh, in the time that we have together, let's move on to uh, subscription content and bundling. I think uh, – it's an interesting – you talked about economics. I'd love your, your take on this. A la carte seems to be going down the road where it's eventually going to be more um, expensive than the cable package at the rate we're going. And But clearly streaming services like Disney Plus and others are skyrocketing as a result of the, of the pandemic. Where do you see things going here? Um, I see th- – this is – I'm not certain as to the time – table on this or the scale so where i've been wrong in my forecasts and i have to update my forecast by the way at davidhold.com i'm the only futurist that puts what i forecast and when i forecast it up there to be accountable because if i'm not accurate why listen to me right Mm -hmm. so here's what i think i think that social media is going to move to a subscription model and i can go into deeper on that but i think that in other words actually they just announced their first um subscription thought leaders twitter just yesterday actually announced they're going they're going to have a a new revenue stream that's going to be around subscription so you know going back to the sports metaphor if you in, want to in get other tips words and things like in that. other words the choice is on social media will you pay to one avoid advertising and will you pay to give us revenue so we won't use your personal information. So privacy, mm-hmm. you know, is, is basically gone, but it's kind of a rear guard political, you know, dumbed down belief that we still have some. So if we still have some, then we have to protect what we have. So therefore, you know, I've done this with audiences, you know, 2017, 2018. I said, um, raise your hand if you don't like fake news or you're concerned about and Everybody raises your hand and say, keep your hand up if you're on Facebook. And most of the people can't. I said, that's real simple. Get off of Facebook. Mm-hmm. And then I say, okay, so what would you pay to not have your personal information? And would you pay a dollar a month? Everybody says, sure, $5 a month. Most people say, when you get to $10 a month to stay on Facebook, about half the hands go down. Mm-hmm. So then I say to the audience, so you're willing to give up your personal information rather than pay $10? Mm-hmm. And then some other hands come down, right? Mm-hmm. So, so on on social media, if they don't 
if they ask for subscription and they don't say they're not going to use your data, that's a good buy. If they're just giving you advertising for free, if they're keeping you from advertising, well, a dollar a month is fine for that, right? Mm -hmm. so, so that's social media. On, on all other media, it's going to move to – there's going to be the bifurcation of get it free with ads – you know, as the Peacock mm -hmm. is doing, mm -hmm. or pay without ads. Mm -hmm. The problem with streaming is you can't fast forward through the ads. So people quickly realize that. So, you know, so it's, one, yeah. One thing as you go on there, just a side note, because um, you, you talk about the construct of how we've become a global society and Marshall McLuhan right. and all that, and how it, you know, the different terminology that you have, but just kind of thinking globally. It, it's fascinating. I saw this this week, David, and, uh, it, it, put it in your quiver of, of conversations. It's like Disney Plus, right? How much has been made about their subscribers, right? They're, they're like seven years ahead of projections and blah, blah, blah. Do you know what one-third of their subscriptions come from? I couldn't believe this. One-third of the Disney Plus subscriptions came from this little-known acquisition, little-known in America acquisition of this Indian company that had the exclusive cricket rights, Right. So now in India, if you want to get the like the 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 premier cricket league, you have to have mm -hmm. Disney Plus. It added right. like 12 or 15 or it was an eight digit number of, of subscribers. And I, you know, I, I thought that was interesting because I'm tying one of the things that we didn't talk about and just kind of especially in something like sport, like Disney Plus and you hear sports and then there's cricket, which. To most people in America who don't know, it'd be like, well, that sounds niche, right? And you think about the value prop of that, of what that did to the enterprise value of the entire company of Disney and right. that, that, that global thinking around streaming. Um, and I, I thought that was one of the other key things that you talk about, right? Is like, it's one thing to talk about global. It's another thing to actually think globally and act globally and whether that was how intentional that was in the Disney acquisition, I don't know, but I thought it was a really good so, point because, um, yeah, yeah. So, so let me, let me just, let me, I want to take you off your direction a sec. Let me just talk about media, for example, and technology, because I think that is a fundamental part of what we've been talking about and for content marketing. Right. So as you know, I was in the last decade of, network television at its zenith, the 70s. Mm -hmm. And then I was in the 80s was the first of, say, three decades of cable, right? Mm -hmm. So so network television in the United States was 50s, 60s, and 70s, and it was basically microwave terrestrial transmission of signal, okay? Mm -hmm. Then Ted Turner realized in the late 70s and all cable came out of the satellite distribution where one signal had the footprint of the whole United States. Mm -hmm. So WTBS could hit the whole country and the Braves became America's team, right? Mm -hmm. Then in the 90s, you had the initial part of the internet explosion, the dot-com bust. But it wasn't until, say, 2010 to now, you've had a high-speed wireless so that the internet became mobile and personal, right? Mm -hmm. So you've got, you've got physical distribution of network television then in the 80s, they finally went to satellite, but, but the cable had already started to take them down. And then in the 90s, you have the Internet, which is the backbone of all media today. There isn't a media that isn't on the Internet. So that's the backbone, the juice, the nervous system of all media in the world. And it's global. Microwave wasn't global. Terrestrial radio wasn't global. Um, um, cable was 
we're still locked into rights, mm -hmm. content rights, um, which is why Disney is so good because they own so much content. And and so what's next, right? It's going to be um, it's going to be 5G when 5G is bogus right now, but in certain places, like in the Tampa Stadium for the Super Bowl, they had it so they could sell it, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it, it's location for the next few years until they have breakthrough technology. So that's as fast or faster than the internet, and it's real, and you don't need a Wi-Fi a spot, right? So then it's going to be instantaneous, multi-live video streams at once in your hand. Then in the 2020s, you're going to have... Um, um, what do you holograms, mm -hmm. right? That's going to be the next big thing on, on, on cell phones is holograms. So I'm going to hologram you, you know, we're going to be doing a, a, a hologram pod or whatever it's <laughs> going to be called. Right. And people will watch it in their phone. Right. And, and then there's going to be, you know, right now there's brainwave clothing, computer. clothing manufacturers are applauding those that are wearing that. Are listening right, now. <laughs> right. And, and, but then you're going to have brainwave computer interface. Now it's viable. You put on a headset, your brainwaves control the computer. My whole point is by the end of the decade, if 10% of the population has been doing brainwave computer interface that focuses and trains their brain. So it's going to be brain to brain. Right. And Musk already has the Neuralink and there's 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 extension. There's a there's some stuff being done in Case Case Western uh, University out of, out of uh, Cleveland yeah. where they have people with a prosthetic. They don't have a hand, but they have a hand that is senses and that hand can reach out to a grandchild 3000 miles away and feel the grandchild. Wow. Okay, so 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 what we're going to is one to one high speed immediate communication. So th the reason I say legacy thinking is your contact with media people who control big advertising budgets, mm -hmm. they probably got into the game 10 to 20 years ago and they learned what worked. So one of the things my, the, the second book of the 2020s, the most disruptive decade in history, is the 2020s, a decade of cognitive dissonance. And what cognitive dissonance means for somebody like yourself or anybody leaving, leading a dynamic company is that you're going to have to continue to perform on the metrics that was the definition of success up to now, but you're going to have to figure out what the new metrics of success are going forward, and you're going to have to manage two realities at once. And what I'm saying to you is I don't think the advertising community has understood that in the slightest. They've made, they've made toe-in-the-water um, steps on that but they haven't really done it in other words oh ask ask a major at one of the big four agency groups so how are you planning to do um you know holograms mm -hmm. how, you, how are you planning to advertise 5g not that you have 5g but how do you have five different of your commercials coming into one phone mm -hmm. right okay. and and is a commercial a, you know i can't stand these 15 second or 30 second where did that come about that came mm -hmm. about 1961 30-second commercials came about in 1961. Why do we still have them? I don't know the answer to that other mm -hmm. than legacy thinking. Mm -hmm. So well, I guess what I'm saying is this is the decade where everything accelerates. It took, Network TV had 30 years. Cable TV had 30 years. Streaming has had about, well, whenever Netflix went online. Mm -hmm. That's the beginning of it. So we're probably 67 years into that. And that's going to go for another 10 years until the technology 
changes. It's all about the distribution. And the, you just said the rights as well. Well, we could go on forever. I want to be respectful of time. So I, I hope hit so. a couple, couple more, a couple more questions here. So uh, let, let's stay there because now we're talking about kind of futurist thinking and, you know, as leaders in company or executives in, in your respective company listening, you spend an entire chapter in T's an upcoming book on VUCA leadership, V-U-C-A leadership. Explain right. what it is and how this audience of pretty sophisticated content and brand marketers should apply it in our field. Well, VUCA came about in, in military in the 80s, and then some great leadership people took it on. You know, volatile, uncertain, chaotic, and ambiguous. That's... I can't think of a better way to describe the landscape today. <laughs> right? Yep. So, so you know, I say to corporations, don't tell me you're developing a strategy. There's no such thing as a strategy anymore. Strategy today is an 18-month implementation plan, period. So mm -hmm. volatile, things are volatile, uncertain, certainly, chaotic, you know, and ambiguous. There's, you know, that's why people hire me to try to, to, to mm -hmm. see around that. And what does VUCA need? It needs resilience and adaptability. So um, there is no longer, here's what we've always done that it's worked. That's why I come into the cognitive dissonance. Well, it's not going to necessarily work next year. So are you going to, you know, uh, you know, McDonald's, all fast food restaurants, have an upper hand because they got drive-through. Mm -hmm. So, hey, you know, now can install Ponderosa steakhouses, put in the <laughs> drive-through? No, they have pickup, right? right? So they're adapting, but it's not going to be enough of their revenue, mm -hmm. right? So um, I, I guess what I'm saying is that is that um, uh, the Starship Enterprise called home is increasingly where people are going to consume work, operate, communicate, live, and play. And that means that advertisers, content marketers have to understand that they have to bring it to me in such a way that if I don't want to go out, I can still buy them. You know, I have, I have always, always, always been a, an Amazon fanboy. And I'll mm -hmm. take on anybody who doesn't like Amazon, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you know, Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk have are the two people. And, and isn't it great that they're the two richest people who've <laughs> invented the 21st century landscape? Mm -hmm. Right. Gates was nine, was 20th century. Mm -hmm. He didn't see the Internet coming in the business model. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. so so I guess what I'm saying in, you know, I, I, I know you got some other questions you want to ask me. So I, I won't belabor that one other than to say um, the consumer as I've said with the shift age, the, the, when, the, when there's an explosion of choice, the power moves from the producer to the consumer, from the institution to the individual. Individuals control the future. It's interesting. Um, I, I wish I knew the name. So of the tell, me, tell me a content story that's about David Houle. Don't tell me a retirement community story right. because I'm over 65. Right, right, right. Yeah, highly personalized, highly customized, right? Is yes. So to that, you know, interesting, I wish I, it would be much better if I could name the company right now. I'll put it in the show notes on uh, teamworksmedia.com on our content hub in this, um, uh, for the for the context of this. I just, I, you talked about adaptability. Uh, we do some work in 
what would be called the branded environment space, right? Think about, you know, interactive museums and, you know. Well, you're really doing it well. I mean, you, you really, you've really found the niche there. I mean, it, you kind of discovered it after I, you were just on to it right when I parted ways with you to become a full-time futures, but you've really done a great job on it. Yeah, and we, so I mean, that, that's ever more important, by the way. Yeah, we, we, we've, you know, haven't, haven't grown candidly as much as we'd like for considering in that regard. Um, but then COVID, Because you're ahead of the curve. In COVID, put a stop on it, right? People, you know, you're not going to invest millions of dollars into turning your lobby into a, you know, customized, personally engaging space when you can't go into a lobby, right? But here's here's an interesting, uh, a company um, called me, and this goes to everything you just talked about, right? The adaptability. They are in the fabricate, they're in the fabrication space. So picture like the Minnesota Vikings practice facility and, and you know, all the graphics and the build out and the, you know, the logos and they've done that for tons of sports teams and leagues and things like that. And, and as we have, you know, through kind of the content portion of that, this company is reaching out. They actually, during COVID launched a new company name, which is dedicated to what you're talking about. It's, they will come in and retrofit your starship, your personal cockpit. Oh, you need to turn it into a work um, place where you need to have studio type setup because you do a lot of live streaming, like we'll come in and do that. You want to come in and turn it into an entertainment center of the future? Great. You want to turn it into a workspace that can be not only for you, but maybe small gatherings with people in your company? That's their entire, this company launched, I think, during COVID, right? Totally around the notion of what you just talked about. A year ago, they were doing lobby work at, you know, sporting arenas. And now here they are, you know, and they seem wow, to be doing brilliant. really well, they're, right? They're, you know, are you just not telling me the name because you've forgotten it? Or you don't I, I literally have it? forgotten it. No, they're out of Minneapolis. Okay, well, send, send me yeah, that I'll because, send it to you. Because, because, you know, they should be highlighted because yeah. – I think it's called Star. It's it, it's S-T-A-R, but they have a – they launched a sub-company that's called something right. like My Customer. That, and that's the whatever. smart thing to do, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. You know, launch a sub-company that you totally control so you're playing both sides of the street at the same time. Right, right. Um, you know? Last question I have for you before we get personal and let you oh, go Oh, come on. Let's do it. I, I love talking to you, Jay. I I mean, you know, I, fun, I'll do man. another one, whatever. Okay, go ahead. So you live in a world where you wake up, <laughs> I imagine, <laughs> pretty much concerned just as much about 2030 as you are next week, right? Because it's your business. Yes. So take yes. our heads up to the horizon. And for this specific audience, if there's things that we haven't talked about yet that you're seeing and hearing now as content marketers that we should be thinking about, like what are some of those things? What are some of those horizon things? Okay. So the preamble is my job is to tell people what's going to happen outside in that they can't see, mm-hmm. right? That's what I say to CEOs. Mm-hmm. Whenever you ask somebody about the future, they'll tell you inside out from the lens of their business, right? Mm -hmm. So outside in, let me answer that in a couple of ways. Number one, here's the working title. The books I'm writing are, I start out 100 pages, 10 chapters, 10 pages a chapter. Why? Because I'm a content marketer. I sell ideas, and I have found that people will not read long books. Mm-hmm. How many long nonfiction books have you, Jay Sharman, and, and, and a smart guy read in the last year? Oh, you don't None, want to know. Right? You don't right. want to know. I'm, no, I'm, yeah, actually, it, I'm actually the outlier. I'm, I've, it's like a side addiction, but I'm, I'm the anomaly. Okay, here. but I mean, but for example, like yeah. Blinkist is really right. successful. I read, right. you know, yes. But the point I'm, make, yes. point I'm making is, okay, so I'm writing a series of books in this decade. It's the most transformative decade in history. What are some of the working titles? A Decade of Cognitive Dissonance, mm-hmm. The Golden Age of Design and Redesign, um, the, uh, 
the end of privacy as we know it, the coming co- financial collapse and reboot, mm-hmm. um, the future of um, uh, the, the the future, you know, and of course, climate change and a subset mm-hmm. of that, the need to, to lessen population, et cetera. Right. So. All of those things are going to happen this decade. The, mer- the, the next evolutionary step is the merger of humanity and technological intelligence, and that's going to be clearly known and seen by the end of this decade. The ability of the end of this decade to upload consciousness, the ability in this decade to, you know, it, it, the externalization of the mind is what we do with our smartphones. Like, you know, my son, Christopher, he lives in Amsterdam. I don't know his phone number. I just press his name, right? Mm-hmm. So we're going to, that's going to move to to rooms, where rooms are going to be intelligent, and then they're going to be conscious. All of this is going to happen in the next 10 years. So the thing that ma- that makes me say is I've gotten together with two fears Futurists, and this is this is the first time it's been public. So you've got a you've got you've got a winner here. This is the first time this has been known. Uh, it's called the hashtag Fork in the Road Project, because this is the decade where humanity is coming to the fork in the road described by Buckminster Fuller in 1970, Utopia or Oblivion. This is the last decade we have to shape the future of the next 50 years in climate intelligence genetic engineering reinventing of capitalism reinventing of democracy that's all going to happen in this decade and so we want we're we're having our first zoom call in next week and we've got about 30 futurists and big thinkers globally you know a, a couple of people who are huge in their field like globally known architects who are concerned and and so we want to put out a message hashtag fork in the road project that there's an urgency this is the decade where humanity has the choice to create the future we want to live or the future that we're kind of rushing towards mindlessly and unconsciously so that is why this decade is so important so if you and i are on this call today talking about legacy thinking and we're talking today those people will be gone given what i just said well, right. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking. I mean, of... there is no, there is no CBS or, right. uh, yeah, you know, they're all the same. And the key thing comes down to virtual, you know, screen reality versus physical reality. Ten years ago, fifteen years ago, when I was actively coming into Teamworks offices, if I said to you, "You're going to be buying shoes online," you go, "No way." If I'm going to be buying suits online, you go, "No." Way. If you're going to buy a car online, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. The fastest growing physical retail chains in the United States are Carvana and the other one that, that you could buy, you know, completely online. So if it can exist in the real world, it's going to exist in the virtual world. Yeah, I think timing's huge, right? I mean, we joke about it. We had a Westloft office and the reason we got it, it was all decked out at the time relative in 2000 when we moved in there. You remember that place, right? The exposed oh, brick. It, it, was, it, was, it awesome. was totally cool. But do you, know, of, do you remember who it was? Down to the office because it was so cool. Do you remember why we right. got that office? Because in in late 1999, early 2000, we moved in in August 2000, I think uh, in like July of 2000, the previous tenant was furniture.com. And I remember all of us being like, who the hell's buying? And they went out of, they, you know, they, they went, they were like, who the hell's going to buy a couch without sitting? Right? It was like the old, you know, early Twitter days. Why does someone need to know so, where my sandwich is? Right? It's just, so the timing component is huge though, right? Like, I, 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 they're yeah, ahead of their time. I, I, 
I, I forgot something to really jump in two things. What COVID may do is it may relaunch augmented reality and virtual reality. Because if my wife, Victoria, and I can't travel to the Amalfi Coast, yep. wouldn't it be nice to put on some virtual reality and spend half an hour there and then relive it? Well, and by you. the way, you know, the senses are being programmed into that. You know, what are the what are yeah. the three senses of recollection? Sight, sound, and taste. I was on the phone and, yesterday with Facebook, uh, uh, some execs at Facebook on a project we're working on. And I can tell you, and I don't, I'm not giving up trade secrets here, how the Oculus – is very much top of mind there and exactly right like the technology has gotten to the place where we as content right. creators to your point of that like hey newsflash the conversation went very well when we started talking about how we were going to um approach this project using oculus right because that's a big push for them right now for exactly what you're talking about how to take people to places that they can't physically go right and and, mm -hmm. and make that part of the norm right and i think right and, and think how that – and what advertiser is actually ready to spend money there, right. Right? right? So, I mean, the problem with virtual reality today is it's gamer-driven, as it logically would mm -hmm. be. So it's kind of got a gamer construct that isn't still what mainstream America and the world is. Mm -hmm. But think about augmented reality. The best example I've always given is we all remember going on field trips in grade school, right? Mm -hmm. And you go in and you get some, hi, kids, here's what we do. Let's go to the Museum of Natural History, right, blah, 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 blah. And so it's the merge of the screen reality and the physical reality with augmented reality, right? That's the definition of, of the merger of screen versus physical reality. So what if you're going to a field trip and you're a fourth grader and you put on the glasses and the all the information from the phys screen reality that is available from Wikipedia and everything is brought to you by Apple, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? So you're hitting the advertise, you're hitting a 10-year-old a or a 12-year-old in a, in a moment of high um, experiential touchy feely mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. with a commercial. Yep. I mean, I mean, it, so, um, and <laughs> you know, it, Royal Caribbean should be able to make a whole ancillary revenue chain of, if you don't want to go get sick on a, on a cruise ship, um, <laughs> you know, we, we've got virtual reality. You can, instead yeah. of $500, you can spend $50 and own yeah. the Mediterranean cruise for the rest of your life. I mean, it's just a perfect example, right? I mean, we work with a lot of museums, and I can't tell you the amount of time oh. we've had to walk museums off the ledge of, um, you know, and I have a lot of friends in museums, so it's, it's, it's just a generalization. It's not, you know, I'm not saying, but the point of let's take our exhibit, let's take our artifact and put it on a website and people are going to come and to their website and experience. It's like, are you kidding? Like, it's yeah, tough right. enough to have the context when I'm actually in person to care about that hockey stick or, you know, so, ceramic so, bowl. But imagine, to your point, like they're not even really thinking like – and this is – you know Mike Sear in our company and he and I. We've done a number of speeches, and I'm sure you've done this as a futurist, to museum groups where you're talking about where things are going. And it's just like it makes their head hurt, right? It's like the whole concept for museums is – it's okay to have a – there is a space for your physical space. But if it's your primary business model is turnstile, you're screwed moving forward. Like you have to rethink – you have to think of that oh. as one spoke in the big wheel, right? And like Oculus is a very logical, obvious place for what you're talking about, especially kind of coming out of a pandemic or even in a pandemic. So, so, so I got to jump in. I did speak to a conference 
of executive directors of art museums. Mm -hmm. And the guy who was, who was putting it on brought me in because I had the following conversation with him. I said, look, Stephen, I said, I'm an art history major. I've been to almost every major art history museum in the, mm -hmm. art museum in the world. I've been to the Louvre half a dozen times. The last few times I've been at the Louvre, I had to share the room of the Mona Lisa with 300 people who were taking selfies, largely <laughs> Chinese, and I couldn't even get up close, right? And I said, compare that to the Louvre giving me a virtual reality where I am alone in the Louvre on high def, mm -hmm. experiencing it, experiencing walking down the stairs to the Winged Victory walking into the room alone of the Mona Lisa, walking down the galleries mm -hmm. of all the Rubens with nobody else there or anything, right? What's, what's the superior experience? Mm -hmm. It's going to be high def alone. And when I spoke to the group, the interesting thing was, well, we don't know if we do it. Everybody told us we have a website, so we got a website. And then people told us we have an app, or we got an app. And I said, what'd you do with the app? Well, we kind of put our information on it <laughs> you know okay so yeah, what yeah. was that about right yeah. you know in other words so so the point is museums should go all in on virtual reality that's the single biggest thing that right because schools. you better travel to a physical place same thing with schools i've got my oldest daughter believe it or not she's a junior we're on the college search it's hilarious right i mean you're to syracuse i mean you can't go you can't get a tour you can't the, and and it's the old virtual tour where you go online and it's some kid over a chroma key reading some language that you know a sixty year old wrote. That's all marketing, and as opposed to like, what a great opportunity! If there is right. any school out there right now, if you're out there, let me know. That is like doing a first class three D experience. Think about just the experience alone is going to move you to the 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 head of the table and the the PR and marketing around it. Exactly right. So anybody who's doing content marketing has to understand the phrase, before you sell to David Houle, walk a mile in his shoes. Don't tell him the mile you want him to walk for your product. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. That's it. it. You know, so content marketers need, you know, and I think you're really hip to this. And you always have been kind of a sense of what the other guy needs to hear and how do you get persuade him. And that's really what this is. But it's it's going. Everything is being atomized, yep. right? So and 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 you know my problem is I watch news a lot, right? And I, and, you know, so it's the pharmaceutical channel, <laughs> and 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 you know, uh, or you know, and the other thing I don't quite get is it must be a really lucrative business to be in the or car insurance business, right? Yeah, because they're all trying to out joke one another, and they're actually funny things, you know, so I watch them for entertainment, but I don't want to watch them after the fifth goddamn time, you know? Yeah. I, mean, I do like, the, I do like the progressive, the series, you got to give props, great creative of like the, uh, you know, the guy, well, and Geico, and you know, the don't Geico voting parents. for whether, <laughs> right, and Geico voting for the funniest, yeah, right, yeah. but I'm sick of emu, you know? Yeah, so, exactly. Uh, anyway, so so my, ad, my last thing, I, I see that you sent me a list here. Here's what I do as a futurist. And for anybody who wants to see the future, do the following. People say, David, how do you do your research? And I say, I'm the most superficial intellectual grazer you'd ever want to meet. <laughs> I've got two to 300 inbound a day. Wow. Right? And I don't necessarily open more than 10% of them, but I see them. You know, I see the New York Times, I see the Wall Street Journal, I see mm -hmm. five or six tech aggregators, five or six uh, environmental aggregators, five or six media aggregators. So every, you know, I see all those things. And so I can spot the trends, 
My job is to see dots that other people don't see and connect them because most people are in their silos. They're, this is what I need to know, you know? And so I'm the ultimate quintessential high-level generalist because that's what a futurist has to be. Last question for you. What are you reading for fun? What I'm reading for fun? Yep. Kim Stanley Robinson, the, the Ministry of the Future. I'm almost done with it. Kim Stanley Robinson is a sci-fi writer who's the best sci-fi writer there is on climate change. He's a brilliant writer. He's a good writer. Um, so I'm reading The Ministry of the Future. He's got another book. I think it's called New York in 2172. But then I've, you know, I've been doing that recently, but I've got, I've got 20 nonfiction books to read, all of which I am looking at right now, and they give me an overwhelming sense of uh, – what the hell am I doing with my time that I haven't gotten to yet? Yeah. Well, you're spending with people like me, and I can't appreciate enough. We went way over time, but I mean, I'm sorry noticed. for that. I, no, I no, I'm too talkative. No, but, I am know. too. So it's, but it was cool. It was fun, and you know, um, we, you and I can entertain ourselves till the cows come home. And I'm, I'm sure there's some nuggets in there for folks. Uh, I'm guaranteed there's nuggets in there for folks to kind of elevate their thinking. Audience, indulge me one sentimental statement to Jay, please. I used to sit in Jay, Jay's office and we try to not just figure out what to do, but figure out how to do it and should it be done and how do we – I mean we, we had all these brainstorming. I helped put you as the CEO, right? And I would have these conversations and you would say to me, Jay, say, could you say that again? And I would say, what did I just say? And you coined the phrase. That's a, that's a hoolism. Yeah. You know, remember you said it, you yeah, said it's a hoolism, yeah, yeah. and I've quoted it ever since. Could you say that again? I said, no. You know, as I said to my guy, he, told, he called it a hoolism. So I don't know if we got a hoolism in this one, but I was hoping we would. Maybe I'm you'll sure we find do. one. I'm sure we you do. Know. David Hool, futurist. You can find him at davidhool.com. Uh, also on Twitter at Evolution Shift. Uh, Hool is spelled H-O-U-L-E. David, thank you so much for your time. And, and the last thing, Instagram on the shift age. Thanks, David. Thanks for listening to Brand Story, Inc. We'll be back next week with another conversation digging into the ways companies are becoming like media companies. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give me a follow on Twitter at underscore Jay Sharman and on LinkedIn.